Welcome to the Present and Sober podcast with your hosts, Sam Goldfinch and Ellie Crow. If you want to make your life bigger, not smaller, then this is the podcast for you. If you can sense that you're destined for more and you're curious about how drinking could be holding you back, listen in and come on this journey with us. Through the interplay of mind and body practices, we will help you elevate your daily life and discover the wonder and potential of going alcohol free. Let's make life bigger together. Hi, lovely people. Today is not just any podcast Tuesday. Today's the launch of our most influential and inspirational teachers series. Essentially, we're having conversations with people that me and Ellie are just eternally grateful for having in our lives, people that have made a huge impact on us. And today we're talking to Andrea Kwiatkowski. Andrea is Ellie's Jiva Mukti yoga teacher, and this style of yoga has had a huge impact on Ellie. Um, I won't say too much about that because she speaks about it beautifully in the podcast. And Andrea, just having her on the podcast is such a gift. She's got a wonderful energy, and she's never really had a relationship with alcohol. And for anyone such as myself, or perhaps you listening, if you've had a problematic or wonky, as I sometimes call it, relationship with alcohol, or still have, learning from people that have not had that, who have found joy and peace and centeredness with without it is incredible because it just shows us at the very, very core that alcohol is not needed in order for us to have an incredible life. So that's it. We're so grateful that Andrea came on and it's a great podcast. See you there. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Present and Sober podcast. Sam and I are super delighted today because we have a very special guest indeed. We have my lovely incredible friend and teacher Andrea here. Hi Andrea, how are you today? Hi, hi guys. I'm really well, thank you. Thanks for inviting me on. Oh well thank you for coming on because we wanted to do this series about our most inspirational teachers and so you were top of the list for me Andrea. So Andrea is a very very dear friend of mine. She is godmother to my lovely children um, and uh her teachings have just been transformational for me in my own journey. So it was really, really important that I get her here to talk to us. And you'll have heard from the intro. So Andrea is a uh, an advanced Jiva Mukti yoga teacher. So Andrea trained personally and directly with Sharon Gannon and David Life, who are the founders of Jiva Mukti Yoga. And Andrea will talk to us a lot about uh, working with them and uh, under them and what Jiva Mukti is all about for uh, for people that may not be familiar with it. So uh, we're going to do a couple of things in this uh, episode. We're going to talk about Andrea's story. So uh, (laughs) Andrea's got a really interesting story starting off in the dance world. And she what I'd like her to talk to is how that was being alcohol free in the dance world um, and then transitioning into the world of yoga. So that's where we're going to start. And then we're also going to talk specifically to a practice that I have found incredibly healing in my own journey. And that is something called chakra tuning. So we'll get into that after we've heard all about Andrea's story. So there we go. Over to you, Andrea. Wow, what an intro. How do I follow that? Well, okay, so my story, my journey as a young girl, like many young girls, I wanted to be a professional dancer. And my parents, because I was very overexcitable and very energetic at five years of age, sent me to ballet uh, classes. And that's really where that kind of side, my creative side began. And I was lucky enough to have a professional career Um, I danced up until the age of 30 and then I was feeling so old that I decided actually a little bit earlier than that about probably my mid to late 20s actually is when I walked into a yoga class Um, and I kind of found the transition from dance into yoga which is still obviously all about movement. I've always been very interested in spiritual aspects of life, healing, Um, what happens to us during our life and how what we do in our life affects possibility the outcome of our life which is what we're going to talk about a bit later and that's the law of karma Um, but as a a young dancer and um, 
you know, very interested in the planet and things like that. There were certain practices that I began to study and look at. One of them was as a very young teenager, like many teenagers do, um, being quite awkward sometimes. I decided that I was going to give up meat and dairy. So I became a vegetarian and vegan at the age of 14. Um, went back into vegetarianism a little around 1819 and then been, you know, really committed uh, vegan um, for about 25 years, over 25 years. It's one of kind of my biggest practices in the journey. But something that I know that you will be interested in, as we have spoken about before, is that I've never been a drinker. And what I mean by that is I, I really I think I've only ever tried to alcoholic drinks in my life and it's mainly because people as I'm sure you will both appreciate um like to sort of think that they can turn you around to the taste of alcohol <laughs> yeah. so one of the I mean one of the worst things I remember was someone trying to give me southern comfort mm. and I was like no, that's never gonna happen good stuff um <laughs> and and then wine and and I you know to be completely honest first of all I've never liked the taste mm-hmm. Secondly, um, as a, a sort of, you know, as a dancer and as, as a yogi, in some ways, I kind of want to know what's going in my system. I've always been very interested in that. So it, not really knowing too much about the science of alcohol and what it does. And I know you guys really know about that stuff. I kind of was thinking, well, what am I putting in my body? So it wasn't interesting. But the main thing was I didn't like the taste. But the other thing that I think has always been very interested to me as an observer. And I really do not mean this so much, particularly now as someone that's judging everyone else. But when you see what alcohol can do to everyone, um, mm. that's always been really interesting. So I was all, I was always the person that everybody wanted to go out with because I was always the designated driver. Mm. Because I never, I never drank and I, and I just, have never drunk ever. So I'm not somebody coming to you saying, you know, I realized that maybe I had a problem or I just, it's never interested me. I've never liked the taste. And I was observing how, you know, often, often, more often than not, it has a detrimental effect for people than a positive effect. I really noticed that, particularly as a, as a professional in the entertainment world. I mean, yes, people drink to, you know, relax after a show and things like that. But then the next day, a lot of my friends, you know, just went on a downer. So then mm. you have to pick yourself up. And, you know, I could see the highs and lows. And when you're a performer, you have highs and lows anyway. Mm. If you add in other stimulants to that, it can make yeah. the highs and lows even worse. So I was, you know, not a person that drank, which was a very unusual in the entertainment business. As it is now, it's unusual in normal life. But I had the double whammy of also being a vegan. So <laughs> you can imagine it was always around any table. Everyone was so interested in why I didn't drink and why I didn't eat meat. Mm. And I used to find it, amazing that people were interested it was like well I just don't I wasn't trying to push anything onto anyone else it was just very inherent that that was something that was part of who I was and it is part of who I am and there's nothing wrong in standing in that for yourself and I think maybe possibly the interesting thing about all of this was as a young girl I knew that mm -hmm. and I didn't want to just follow the crowd and just because everyone else was drinking, join in. And I wasn't really, I don't think subconsciously doing it because I also wanted to be different, although there probably was a little bit of that, but it was just something that I knew was not me. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be authentic in who I was. Mm, it's, it, God, it's so interesting hearing you talk about it, Andrea, and it's 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 so true. Like I per personally, I was so disconnected from myself, so disconnected, and didn't ever feel 
really like now with hindsight I know I never felt like I could truly be myself I was running from the person that I thought I was because I didn't think that person was acceptable that person was worthy and so it's no wonder I drank the way that I did for as long as I did because I was just trying to um, exist and cope with the things that that you know laid laid beneath so to hear you talk about the conviction as a very young girl to be wholeheartedly yourself I I just think and it's part of the reason I wanted you to talk to it because I think it's very rare and very extraordinary Um, and and now as a 41 year old just starting to get that connection back with myself and one of the things that I talk a lot to my clients about when we talk uh, about on this podcast is like that's the gift of going alcohol free because you when you choose not to numb yourself anymore then you have to feel everything and you have to go through a process of accepting yourself and forgiving yourself and learning to care for yourself in in a way that you possibly haven't ever done before getting to the point where you can warm to yourself enough to love yourself and when you accept yourself fully to be fully authentic it is just the most liberating feeling in the world to be able to show up exactly as the person that you are unapologetically it's it's a really really wonderful thing but it's 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 not easy and so that's why I just think it's phenomenal for somebody as young as you were to to be so strongly led by your values and especially in the kind of world that you're operating in because there must have been a lot of pressure from the people around you to participate totally and and the thing also as well and I think that's why the spiritual aspect of my life as you know because you've known me for for a long time um spirituality can sometimes it's not the same as religion but it can be the same as someone having a faith in something and so I was as I said from a from a young girl very interested in my young 20s and and as I've um, been through dancing I was very lucky to travel around the world and I and I met some very interesting people I was very interested in Buddhism early on and philosophy almost before I began a physical practice of yoga and so also learning about that I think now in reflection of hearing some of those teachings, which I know mean a huge amount to you as you start to dive in, but hearing those teachings at 22, 23, 24, it can really help you kind of see that. And yoga is always about being, and, and, and all aspects of spirituality, of being true to yourself. Mm-hmm. And so um, that was, you know, that was, I think, really important, maybe, in reflection of um, you know other things, although actually knowing myself, I don't think I probably would because I I kind of as I said I'm not saying this in a judgmental way about you know friends of mine that drink and but it's never been attractive to me. It's never it's never been something, and that's because that's the same with smoking. It's the same with other things of stimulants, and part of that all is of course because as human beings we want to be in control. Mm. so I am a control freak everyone is a control freak basically there's almost no one I've ever met or ever taught that doesn't like that feeling of control so I'm sure part of that as a young girl was I want to kind of be aware of where I am and who I am but but you said a very interesting thing which I think is so important is this idea of disconnect or connect Mm. so when you you have a, a, a practice whether that's a bodily practice like dance or martial art you're feeling your way through life and that's my main medium through my work and my life I felt it through through practice of movement of the body and through the breath and that's the biggest thing that we teach in yoga is to see where are you disconnected from yourself and that means that from yourself you're also in a way disconnecting from a higher aspect of yourself. Mm, mm. 
100%. Sorry, Sammy. No, I was just going to say, like, I've spoken about my journey a bit, but it was really weird. At about the age of 17, 18, two things happened for me. One, I went really deep on the alcohol thing because I started uni. And two, I went really deep on the spiritual thing. And for me, one of the reasons I think I managed to, at the age of like 26, be like, this is not workable and do it quite early in a lot of people's eyes is because I had that cognitive dissonance. I was like, this is not working. I was so deep in, I'd like, you know, w- was doing these retreats and yoga retreats and all this practice. And whenever I was drinking, it just wasn't working. There were loggerheads. There were two parts of me. And, you know, Andrew, I find it so amazing to talk to people. My partner also has never really been a drinker. Um, and she has learned to engage with life as it is and the human experience of just feeling and, and you know, she's a dancer and really is a yoga teacher as well, really into body work. And it's interesting that I think so many people who have never had like a relationship with a substance go down that kind of path. They're so connected to that naturally. And it's so inspiring for me and it awakens a part of me to make, when I speak to someone with a story like you, I'm like, wow, like all of the story I've got about, is it, you know, that I used to have, is it possible to have fun without alcohol? Is this, I only have to speak to someone like you, Andrea, or my partner, or just be around someone who lives that experience, who's just never dialed into any of the crap that we, we bring on when we go and get involved with the substance, because it just, you can just feel the energy coming off of you. And there's so much teaching in that that doesn't require any words. It's just like, of course it's possible. <laughs> like there's all these people around us. Most, so many people in the world, you know, we go to India where, you know, sadly alcohol is pouring a lot more in at the moment. But if you go and hang out in places where alcohol doesn't have that impact, spirit and connection to body and movement and, and energy is just so deep in society. And it's just not, it's not like that for so many people in the West. They haven't connected and felt that before. When I first started teaching retreats, um, I some of the retreats that I obviously I have done some very very you know austere and very strict retreats, which for me because um, you know not eating animal products and not drinking and things wasn't such a, a bad thing. I have to say, you know, not being able to drink. I don't drink coffee, but I do like tea, and the caffeine thing sometimes can 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 get you a little bit. But what's the, the one of the things when I first began teaching retreats, and that's, you know, about 15 years ago, you have to remember now yoga is so much more mainstream than it was, you know, 10, 20 years ago. The first thing that people used to ask me, two questions. One, what's the diet going to be? So they want to know if there was me. Two, is that alcohol? That was all I was asked. And it used to really actually frustrate me. I'm like, God, don't you want to know about the yoga? So I, you know, as a committed, you know, vegan, I've never, you know, had animal products in the retreats that I've led. And generally speaking, I don't have alcohol, but some of the things where I've worked for someone else, where alcohol has been present. And when I, when I say alcohol is present on some of these longer retreats, it basically would be maybe a glass of wine in the evening of, of dinner. It's not, you know, the alcohol just around. I've said at the beginning of the retreat to all of the guests, um, none of what I say to you is going to make a difference unless you feel that for yourself. So I don't want to be the person, and that's actually not what a teacher or a guide does. It's not telling you, enforcing it from the outside. As you said, Sam, you get that moment in your life and everyone's journey is different. That's why there's no judgment with this. You should be able to see some like that glass of wine and you should potentially make the decision, that's not so good for me, I won't have one. It shouldn't have to be that everything is taken away for you to learn that within yourself. And I find that very interesting in that when I began doing that, a lot of people in the feedback would then say, I would prefer it if you just said we don't have the alcohol. And it's like, yes, but why are you wanting me to say that? Why can you not say that? And that's the cognitive understanding. That's what meditation and yoga and kind of feeling your way into to to be able to say no. I think so many people are just used to the the kind of um, sponsoring thought or understanding is that the journey through life is in adding things. And that it's like another belief system, another thought like, 
it's easier for me to just read what this book says and enlist those opinions than it is for me to do some deep reflection on what I truly believe. And as we all know, the yogic journey is like actually peeling back the layers to get to innate wisdom and innate love and joy to that place where we have innate well-being, innate mental health, where we're always okay. And I think a lot of people, this is the beautiful irony I think about good, good, but just yoga and meditation is that even if ego brings you to it, if you engage with the practice at the level that it's delivered, it will break your ego down. So that's okay. <laughs> so if a lot of people end up in a retreat and the only way they're going to get there is because they know that, oh my God, thank goodness, there's a glass of wine every now and again. But at some point there's that moment where they're like, wow, like I've just connected to a piece of me that spoke to me without words to tell me that that's not good for you. Mm. And I think that's what happened to me. But do you know what? It took me a long, long time to listen to that voice years. Like this is the thing with an addictive voice and like trying to figure out what's you and what's not. And even though I was quite deeply into this stuff and had some real awakening experiences and, but I was so, my channels were so blocked by all the things that I was doing. Um, mm. And I was on off drinking. So I'd have these like six months away and all these things, this amazing stuff would start happening. And then I'd block all my channels again by inviting these things in. So mm. yeah, it's, it's crazy that journey that you're, you're talking about. And, and, you know, sometimes that is what happens. If you look at your potential relationship with um, alcohol or other things in your life that you might know are not always so good for you, it can be. It's, it's like, a, you know, a bad relationship. You know, you, you sometimes it takes a while to realise. And, and the process of that is the important thing. And we, we say this always in, in the yoga practice, that it, it is, an, in a sense, the destination. It is, and that's why being very kind and compassionate to somebody who is going through their journey. So, you know, people will ask about my journey and my story, and, and I always sort of layer it with, you know, yes, of, of having that and having that cognitive awareness, but there were reasons why people I was associating with and, lessons that I was learning early on but of course spiritually sometimes that's always linked to karma and karma again can be um it can be an overused word and I don't want to to use it in that way it basically means this idea of you know what you how you act how you think how you speak you know has a reverberation around you and that eventually comes back and it's about as you said, kind of breaking down the ego, that's the way that in yoga, we also talk about your, you know, reducing your karmas. So mm. sometimes this idea of going through something, and I talked about this in my class last night, we often don't realize why we have to go through something very difficult in our life until we're at the end of it. And when we're at the end of it, as we reflect back and we begin to deepen our um, sense of connection with ourselves, we can understand that, that some of those things that were incredibly difficult, and I'm not in any way trivializing deep trauma for people because it can be that, but that can be, that can be the breaking down of the karma so that people can go on to live a very fully aware and cognitive life. It's funny how the, the kind of like, we learn resilience in episodes of our life where we need to be resilient. We learn faith in times where everything is taken away and it's like, okay, I need to have some kind of, and, and it's funny how sometimes that darkness, exactly that, you know, there's, there's light in it. Um, and it's, yeah, it's like this testing ground for us and it's, and it turns us into these amazing people. And I guess that's the, yeah, this kind of like, this kind of like, it transmutes us right from one from one state to another and pain is an incredible um i don't know energy that can really help us move into incredible healing as well uh, and the spiritual journey is very much from for many many people pain is how we enter that yeah and my teacher has a, a wonderful um saying which you know she says to all of us but you cannot be a victim and an enlightened being at the same time yeah. you have to make a choice mm. and it is a choice and it is a choice yeah so um i think that that is you know it, it is important to understand that as 
we go through this journey of life, we go through this journey of our life. In the spiritual practice, as you were saying, you know, we see this a lot. I see a lot of people that, um, and I'm sure this happens with alcohol journey as well. In fact, I know it does because, you know, I know, I know students and friends that have this where they, yes, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm going to practice really hard and I'm gonna do that for 30 days. And then the 30 days goes and then they slip back into things. So in spiritual life, and, and, you know, don't quote me on this, quote His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. He always says, you know, practice a little bit every day because you never know. You're accumulating. You're building up all of that practice. So as you said, Sam, when something happens, you have got that experience. You've got almost that. I call it spiritual backbone, that it's there for you. And mm. you never know, you never know with what is going to happen next in your life when you, you'll never know if you've practiced enough. So doing these kind of, you know, retreats are fabulous. And I always say, you know, when the retreat finishes, the practice begins. You go through an intense period and it's better to do something every day, whether it is, to think about gratitude or, you know, not having a drink or, you know, being cognitive and present in your life. It's better to do something every day and hold that as a thread so it builds up a catalogue, a backbone of practice than to be a bit of this or a bit of that or a bit of the other. Because generally for human beings, because of our nature and the society particularly that we all live in, it doesn't work for people. Mm. Yeah. And that, that, that bit of practice, that bit every day, that is how you can start to turn up the volume on the inner voice. So instead of having that disconnection and that, you know, being sort of blown by the wind, whichever way the wind's going, if you can turn up your own, amplify your own inner voice, that is how you then build an authentic life. And that is where it feels, you know, truly, truly very different. Um, but as you say, it's and that's what we talk about in this podcast. We talk about how you have, you know, th these things are called practices for a reason. You have to practice them. You can't just do the 30 days and then, you know, we're all done. There's a lot of inner work to do. And, and that can often, you know, we talk about um, the work being the joy. And that was one of the themes that came out of an episode with uh, one of our lovely guests, Megan. And in that episode, we kept trying to uh edit ourselves about talking it like like work because what you know, the connotation with work is it's going to be hard and laborious and who wants to do that but that that is where the uh, all of the joy is found that that is the journey and it's going to be for the rest of your life and it's going to be bloody amazing and it's going to open up so much more to you than staying in the the old paradigm um, well, people always think, and we all do this, all of us, myself included, I don't have time, I've got to, to look after the family, I've got to work, and this is the thing that we always say. But what people sometimes miss the point of is if they step back, whether it is to sit on a meditation cushion for three to five minutes, whether it's to take a mindful work, walk, whether it's to step on a yoga mat and just do some simple stretching, literally do a little bit of breath work, five, 10 minutes. When you step inwards and engage with yourself, and, and I love the fact that you're calling it authentic self because that is, you're actually connecting with something higher than that. So when you talk about authentic self, it's not ego self, it's the, it's the opposite of that. When you then kind of go into the other aspects of your life, you will be fully present with it. And rather seeing then the other aspects of your life as mundane or ordinary, as people always talk about, you begin to see the extraordinary in the ordinary moments. So when you are with your kids, you're kind of fully more present with the kids rather than thinking oh, I've got to do this with the kids and then you know oh I haven't done my meditation or and so we get into we, we sort of put it the other way around and it doesn't have to be hours of deep contemplation it doesn't need to be that but it needs to be as you've spoken to me Ellie when you started a daily meditation practice what happened for you mm -hmm. yeah it's it is so transformative it's it's these it's these little things and you don't, I was talking about this recently, how 
it's not until things drop away. So things like journaling, when um, when I'm away with the kids in the caravan and I've got you, you in fact, I've, I'm just going to step out of something for a second because you'll find this very funny, Andrea. I was doing, I was trying to do one of your yin yoga classes from the wonderful movement for modern life in the caravan. And I had that much space. So if you're listening, imagine a very narrow space um, that's all I had in the caravan and I'm, and I'm wedged between a wardrobe and a bed and I, I started off okay and then we got into twisting and I had to give up because I just I literally had nowhere to go and so when when I spend time at the caravan like I did over the summer with the kids I have to be really intentional and deliberate about how I incorporate these practices because if I don't and I let them fall away because of the, just as you were saying, I don't have time, I'm busy, I've got the kids, I've got to prioritise the thing. When, when I get out of the present moment and into all of the self-talk, it's only after a week or two that you then feel the residue of it and you notice how you feel inside because you've let those things go. So mm. they are so important. And just as you say, Andrea, it doesn't have to be something monumental it doesn't have to be hours of contemplation I mean that's good but it's these little bits Sam calls them snacks it's little snacks yeah, I, <laughs> on, a, on a podcast I can't remember where it was I had this amazing way of framing it of like yeah we, we think of things of meals and it's like oh well I can't be bothered to cook the whole thing and you know if I'm going to go to the gym I have to go for an hour or so I won't bother versus a snack which is like this is an amazing book called Tiny Habits I can't remember the author's name but he talks about ABC, which is like anchor behavior um, and celebration. So it's like tiny little things. So every morning, his suggestion at the beginning of the book is just learn as soon as your feet hit the floor in the bed. So your anchor, your, heat, your feet hit the floor. You say to yourself, it's going to be a great day. And then you celebrate. You're like, yeah, well done. Like you said that. And I've started doing it every single morning. And now I wake up and, I'm, and I do that. And it makes a difference. It's huge. It's like, yeah, it's going to be a great day. Um, and if you don't quite believe it, you say somehow at the end, <laughs> this is like helpful. But these tiny things of, you know, one of the ways he says about building a habit is like, if you want to learn to floss and you're not a flosser, <laughs> uh, in, not in the dance sense, but in the actual teeth sense, then go set the anchor up, which is walking in and before you brush your teeth, floss one tooth and then be like, well done, go you. And then like the next day, do two, do three, build it, build it, build it. And Andrew, like you say, a minute's meditation is so powerful because when you get the benefit you're like easily switch it to two minutes three minutes five minutes mm -hmm. so people always say there's no time it's like well can you afford 30 seconds can you afford a minute because it's totally totally worth it just that one minute of, of kind of stepping out of your day sitting on the sofa looking out the window and taking a few deep breaths is so powerful right really powerful and you know i often use the brushing your teeth analogy because who taught us to brush our teeth often our parents and do we think about that now no it's just something that we do and spiritual practice stepping inwards to yourself as I said whether it's stepping on a meditation cushion putting your feet which is really what you're doing Sam is a gratitude practice which yep. is one of the things my teacher always says you know wake up in the morning open your eyes and choose three things that you're grateful for. Mm -hmm. And then that, you know, immediately sets the tone. It colors your whole day mm. by the way that you wake up. Or, you know, 10 minutes, we have a practice in Jibamati Yoga called the Magic 10. And it's 10, 10 minutes on your mat and, and you're done. And it really sets you up. And so when you start allowing these things to be like brushing your teeth, or like you said, having a snack, suddenly it doesn't feel like it's something you're adding it's something that you actually are looking forward to it's joyful it's part of who you are and that's mm. something that's really important in when we learn yoga you know and very much in the west it's wonderful that more people are, are practicing yoga but let us remember what the yogic practice is about yoga is not something that you are doing to yourself it is a practice that strips things away for you to recognize who you truly are. Mm, I love that. Um, Andrea, can you, so before we get into the specifics about the, the chakra tuning that, that we wanted to focus on in this episode, can you just talk to um, your teachers, uh, 
Sharon and, and David and what Jiva Mukti is all about, just because there'll be a lot of people listening to this that might not have ever even heard of Jiva Mukti Yoga. Um, I think it'd be really lovely to, uh, to bring some colour and life to that. Okay, so the Jivamukti practice began in New York City in um, 1984. And um, my, both of my teachers are very well-known world, worldwide um, yoga teachers. They're phenomenal beings, phenomenal yogis. And Jivamukti kind of had the hashtag of being the wild child of yoga. And I've always kind of really liked that because they were one of the first to play music in classes. They have a very, very deep um, philosophical message um, about environmentalism, about the um, subjugation of animals and the way that we treat them. So vegetarianism and veganism is, is a huge part of our practice, asking people to look at the way that they are living their life rather than just stepping on the mat. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's, it's very, we, we chant, we meditate, it's what's known as an integral yoga practice. So the idea of something that's integral is nothing is left out, nothing is missing. So normally when you step into a Jibamata yoga class um, for the first time, it can feel like, you know, your senses are being completely hit with all of these things. There's so much color and sound and music and laughter and fun. It, it, it's really phenomenal. It's, it's, it's a life-changing practice. And I um, met my teachers 15 years ago. I trained with them um, in New York and continue to um, be their student always. I owe them absolutely everything. As a yoga teacher, they've taught me so much. And a lot of what they've taught me has been actually outside the training room when I've spent time with them. Um, because I think when you spend time with people outside of what they do, you begin to see who they are. And that's really important. Um, and I'm often asked because, you know, they are well-known teachers and they've written books. And I know we're going to put some details about um, some of the books and um, the chakra tuning DVDs and things. And it's always like when, when people are well-known and, and you might know them, someone says, you know, are they really like that? And, you know, they are. They're true to who they are. And that's one of the biggest things that they've ever shared with me. You know, be true to who you are and also make people feel good about themselves. Let them see everyone as whole and not broken. And I think that that is hugely important, that we don't see everybody as broken individuals. At the core of who we are, we are whole and we are loving and we are kind and that's the essence of the Jiva Mukti practice. Jiva Mukti basically means the one who is liberated during this lifetime. So it's about being completely immersed in your life and feeling free mm. Mm. and developing compassion for all beings, which is, is huge. So as you know, because you study it, it's a beautiful, beautiful practice. And we have certain sequences and certain aspects of the practice that are designed specifically and I know we're going to talk about chakra tuning as I said I've spoken of magic 10 we have a beautiful class as well that's called magic 10 and beyond um, and that's a series of personal practices that we've just been talking about that you could do just in little snippets of your day um, that's also a wonderful practice I do many of those I mean one of those practices Sam is going out and feeding the birds mm -hmm. So, you know, these are not always things about standing on your head. These are things that are about why is it important to feed birds or to feed others? Because when you nourish another being, and that's in the same way as when you cook for your children or you cook for your partner, you're recognizing that this is not just about you in this life. Mm -hmm. so you're getting out of that ego sense again. It's a wonderful, wonderful book and it's beautiful. It's beautifully written and um, right behind me now, I wish I had a copy to show people, but we'll put the, the link in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, just getting yeah. There it is. It's a beautiful book. Amazing. Um, Can I just read a little, just from the introduction? Can oh, I just yes. So this is uh, Sharon's uh, introduction. This is in part of the practice that's called Blessing the Way. So she says, we cannot escape our past karmas, the actions that we have already done. 
but we can start now and do our best to plant the, the kinds of seeds we want to help grow in the future, cultivating forgiveness, kindness and friendliness towards others results in spiritual strength. So much suffering comes from seeing ourselves as a victim of others, of their selfishness, cruelty, greed, insensitivity and so forth. We see the world as out there coming at us instead of taking responsibility and realizing that the world we see outside of us is coming from inside us, from how we may have treated others in our past. Others provide us with a karmic projection, a mirror in which we see ourselves. Oh, gives me chills. It, it also, it, that harks back to, um, we did an episode about radical responsibility. So, for anybody that's new to the podcast, there's another episode to go back and seek out. Um, I've loved hearing you talk about uh, the origins of Jeevan Bhakti Yoga. I love the fact that it was known as the, the wild child. I can see um, exactly why, you know, it's such a good fit for you. And again, like when, when we were talking a little while ago about recording this, and I was just reflecting on how it's just incredible how the universe puts things together so the, the the kind of young girl that you were and the values that you had it's like you just you plug right into Jeeva Mukti like it's just it's, it was you know such a natural natural fit it's incredible and they were both performers so they were they were dancers um, they're artists um, Sharon writes books and poetry she paints you know they're creatives and that's what I love about it. The practice is very creative. So as I said, although we have some set things, as you know, Ellie, you can walk into a class and you never know what is gonna come up. And we, we always give as well, Sam, um, some kind of um, spiritual talk or a discourse. So we, we look at where yoga came from. So either the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali or some of the stories from um, the Bhagavad Gita or Upanishad. Mm. So it's kind of really using the roots and the foundations of yoga and kind of making it relevant to where we are now. So we're not, not using the ancient. We're using that spiritual source of the ancient, but we're making it relatable. Otherwise, it doesn't relate. As you know, when you do the podcast and when you speak to people, if you can meet people where they are, you have much more of a chance of engaging them rather than professing to them or trying to tell them what to do from the outside. It, it's so important. When I, when I trained in Hatha, I mean, I knew this anyway, but, you know, spending six weeks in an ashram and, and, and you know, riffing with, with the people there and the energies there. And you realize like, wow, you know, for so many people in the West, yoga is just synonymous with asana and movement. And it's a path like movement is such a tiny fraction. It's a beautiful piece of it, but it's such a small piece of the path. And you're right. Like if you can meet people, you know, people get so uncomfortable with breath work or because and, and it's. But if you can invite somebody into that through creativity, through color, through sound, through music, like that's, you're right, you're meeting people where they're at. And I think people are, they're just not there. Like if we try and just invite things exactly as they were from 2000 years ago, for a lot of people, they, they just don't connect with that in the same way that they would these amazing things that you're talking about. It's getting me, yeah, I'm going to have to, I'm very excited to read that book and, and hop in. Sounds, sounds awesome. Yeah, <laughs> do, do let me know what you think yeah, of it. Yeah. I'd love to know. You're going to have to hop into one of Andrea's classes as well. I think you'd love it. Yeah, no, I Can will. join me in practice with Andrea? Yeah, yeah, um, so um, just moving towards, gently towards chakra tuning. So uh, so I've practiced with Andrea for God, a long time, coming up a couple of years now, I think. Certainly 18 months or so. And um, I've been fortunate enough to be part of some special so we have regular classes each week but some special classes and so last December so I was rounding upon a year being alcohol free um, as I've talked about in this podcast lots of things had bubbled to the surface for me things that I'd been trying to escape from over the years including some childhood trauma and the uh, the delayed grief over the, the death of my father and that December of being a year alcohol free was headed towards the 20th anniversary of his death. And so I was 
viscerally feeling grief in a way that I'd never felt it before. And I was having to process it for the first time. So I was in a really um, strange place, very new to me. And, and I've talked, I think, before in this podcast, and certainly when I've been talking to people in the live alcohol experiment about, I had a, a few really dark days with it, but I was able, because my inner voice is strong now, I was able to sit with it and learn new ways of processing emotion and building emotional resilience. But one of the things that came to me right at the time that I needed it was this very first class that I took part in, this chakra tuning class. And, uh, and, and to be honest, I didn't really know what to expect when I went into it. And um, God, I, I could cry talking about it. Like it was just the most phenomenal experience and not just in the class, but the, the, the way that it resonated with just what I needed at that time and how things transformed for me afterwards. It was one of the most impactful things that I've ever experienced. So I'd really like Andrew to talk about what it is, um, what happens, why it has the effect that it does. Because we've since had, uh, fairly recently, we had another chakra tuning class. And again, very similar, similar but different experience. Um, so I just, I, I would really just like to um, bring it to life for people that would have never potentially heard of it or, or experienced it. Well, the first thing to, to think about with um, the idea of chakra tuning is to understand what the word chakra is. And so chakras are not just in yoga. You see them in healing massage therapists work with them, Reiki, um, you know, therapists. Um, chakras are um, wheels. It, it re relates to the word wheel. And um, we describe them as doorways of perception. So in the chakra tuning class, we work with seven, but many, many texts um, in yoga talk about the being minor chakras, like in the tongue and in the palms of the hands. But basically it's where areas of energy have accumulated. So just to give a little bit of the subtle anatomy, because it's important. The idea is that we have these channels, they're called nadis, and they're all around our not in our physical body, but in our energetic body. And the chakra is where the nadis link and they're like almost, it's like being able to tune in to like a, a telephone exchange where you're tuning each of them. And again, many, many people have written about them. Um, in Jivamukti Yoga, what we do is we, uh, my teacher Sharon Gannon has designed a class which is about one, bringing awareness into these areas. And each of these areas, and this is the bit that I'm really interested in, has different aspects about it. So there's, it's related to different elements in the world. It's related to different colors. Um, Sam and your Hatha Yoga training, you will have, have looked at this as well. I think um, in the Jivamukti um, chakra tuning class, which might be slightly different, is we also relate them to particular relationships in people's lives. So each of them, each of them as they come through the central column, which is called the Shushumna, which means ray of light, which Madonna did famously sing about. Um, she studies chakras as well. They, um, we, we, the idea is that we're piercing them and we are being able to, wherever there's, as Sharon said in the book there, wherever we have, may have seen ourselves as a victim or there's some aspect of regret, they've all got positive emotions that are said to be um, linked to them as well as a little bit more negative emotions. So for example, the root chakra, which is right at the base of the spine relates to the health of our lower back and relates to our legs and feet and our knees, but it's related also to deep sense of fear. It relates to how we um, relate to money in, in our life. And it also relates to the biggest relationship you might have, you might say we have in our physical incarnation, which is to our parents. So we, we, we look at that through the class. And in this style of Jivamukti, there isn't music because we want to be, it's a very meditative experience. 
And so the teacher is talking you through and rather than linking the asana together, where we would say what we call more of a vinyasa, in the chakra tuning class, we stay in the asana and we add on another layer of working through that doorway of perception by adding sound. So we chant the bijar mantras. So there's certain mantras, certain sounds, certain musical notes that are said to harmonize and develop and you know, balance these energy centers. So we go through the class, we begin at the root, there's always an order, we finish at the top, which is our relationship to the divine and cosmic consciousness, and then we settle everything down and we relax. And then, as you said, Ellie, I've had teachers, I know when my teachers, you know, I've had this first class with them and the first chakra tuning I ever did, I think I had the class with oh, at least 120 other people in the room. And all you can hear is the apps, you could hear a pin drop, basically, first of all, when you're practicing in a room, but you can hear people crying, you can hear people releasing, you can hear people being incredibly moved just by the way that they breathe in this, it's like a cleansing, it's the biggest healing experience that I've ever taken. And now, obviously, as um, a Ajivamati teacher, I, I, I don't use this class very often, as you said, for a special um, series or a special event. I like it possible to know who I'm already working with, because, as I say, it can be very profound for people. And, and that's really what a yoga practice should be about, that when you leave the yoga space, you should think afterwards. It should move you to reflect on other aspects of your life. Ellie, I would be interested to, if you, if you wouldn't mind, I'd be interested to know in the first class, what, when you described that it was so powerful for you and so profound, what was it for you? Because everyone is different that you found so profound. Well, if you imagine that the space that I was in was, uh, quite there was there was some turmoil going on so I had I had all of this stuff that was quite heavy and I wasn't so sure that I could deal with it myself that I could process it myself I was at kind of at the point I remember asking Annie in one of the mastermind calls do I need to you know go and check myself in somewhere to be able to you know work with a therapist to to move this um this on through like how can I deal with it and I see this a lot with clients, like the, something will come up from the past, something that they've been trying to escape from. And there's this real uh, f- fear that, y- that you can't deal with it yourself, that it's, it's bigger than you, it's too big. And being the kind of person that I am, and, and, and I'd had some advice from, from Annie, I was kind of determined that I was going to uh, do two things I was going to allow it to be there and I wasn't going to try and change it and I was going to see it through without trying to escape by other means and I truly believe that things come together just as they're meant to and so my belief with the class was that it came just at the right time that I uh, needed to um, find a you meant you, you said it's like cleansing that's what I needed. I had so much stuff that was attached to my relationship, particularly with my father. Oh God, I could cry. Things that, because he died when I was 20 and there was a lot of layers underneath that. It wasn't just about his illness and his death. I had no opportunity to connect with him and work through those things. And, and those, those things have to go somewhere. So I, so I buried them for a very long time. And so what your class allowed me to do without me even realizing it in the moment was just start to allow those things to, to, to move through is the best way that I can describe it. It's not trying to 
change them. It's very much about acceptance and forgiveness. And it's a bit like we've talked about meta meditation a lot, just moving to a place of, of, of absolute acceptance and compassion. And the, the energy tone changes so dramatically. And I came out of that class, I, I'm sure that I was drenched in tears by the end of it. And, I, and I, I do remember feeling physically spent, you know, like just, I, I had nothing. But the other side of that, it was like the sun came up and the way like, I've got my, my dad sat on my desk next to me here. And what I feel now is that connectedness that I wanted all along. So when I lost him at the age of 20 and couldn't have the conversations I wanted to have with him, I can have them now with him. I feel very connected to him. Just this morning, Noah, my littlest one and I, we were looking out at very early dawn um, and you could see the crescent moon was so thin, the thinnest little crescent moon. And she was saying, oh, mommy, look at the moon. And we were looking out the skylight at the moon. And that that is where I look to for, for to feel connection with my father because what's what's bigger than you know we're talking about something much bigger than us what's bigger than the bloody cosmos like it's it's incredible and so I don't know if any of that makes sense to anybody listening to this but that it, it, it allowed for me to let go we talk a lot about letting go and I think people can often think well how how the bloody hell do you let go of this stuff but that that was how for me I let go of a lot of the stuff that I just I didn't need anymore and I replaced it with something much more um much more healing much more beautiful much more loving Mm. I think also as well something that I didn't say is that something we do in the class Sam there's many many layers of it and again the teacher can kind of look and see and kind of feel as you do as a teacher the room of where you're going to go with it but we use affirmations so one of the affirmations is if, for example when I, I I talk about relationship with mother relationship with father and or dad or someone that you were close to when you were very young and we visualize the person whether they're physical present present in their body or not and I say that and we see them as we're in a particular asana, which is related to the chakra, because each of the chakras have particular shapes that are connected with them. And we send blessings, love and thanks to them. And something that we, we do is we, we acknowledge them as with so many people, we can feel anger sometimes to our parents, even anger that they have died. And we don't realise that we're holding on to that or that our parents haven't behaved in the way that we wanted them to. And so, as you said, it's without realizing it from a subconscious level, there is a letting go. And so suddenly the image that you have of your parent that may be sat there or you know, in the lotus position or sat on your hand as you're in warrior two or whatever, they don't change, but your relationship with them does. And that's the whole point of chakra tuning, your relationship changes and I remember years ago teaching this actually chakra tuning at a conference and a lovely woman I would say maybe in her mid-60s came up at the end and um, I'd never met her before and she said she said that was really wonderful and she was very quiet um, emotional and she said I realized my three ex-husbands I'd never forgiven them and when we, when we got to the forward bending, so the second chakra is about relationships, you know, of business relationships, sexual relationships, something, I didn't know she had three ex-husbands, something for her changed. And the, the recognition was that she, as you just said, she had recognized that she was holding on and before she didn't realize that she was. And I think that's the whole point of it. And of course, in spiritual aspect, the whole point of being able to let go is to prepare us to let go when loved ones die. And of course, in the West, it's something that we never want to talk about because we always want to kind of hold on to things. But the yogic practice, if you think when we, you know, relax at the end in relaxation, that is what we are preparing. We're we're preparing for letting go of the body. 
we're preparing for letting go of each being that we are in contact with. And, and the essence of that is not sadness, because in spiritual practice, the idea is that the soul goes on. And so when you see your dad and you feel your dad, that is correct because he is in the cosmos. He, he is, he, you know, he's connected and it's being able to clear stuff away, whether that's from a sense of the subtle anatomy of chakras or whether it's, you know, in, a, in other ways through therapy and different things, it doesn't matter. Whatever is right for the individual is right for the individual to sense that and feel that, that's the tuning bit. So you're literally tuning up your instrument, your mind, your body, your connection, so that you are completely aligned. Mm -hmm. And that's what the class is about. And that's why everyone will have their own personal relationship with that class because we are beings that are in relationship. We're in relationship with ourselves. We're in relationship with alcohol. We're in relationship with everything, everything else that we come into contact with. We're in relationship with each other. And we sort of forget that. Yeah, that connection to the ground of being. There's no end to its depth. The same with the present moment and settling in to that that journey of kind of like oh wow and it's like those waves of awakening as you move through them they just continue and continue they're fractal and they they just never end and that's like a wonderful place to be and uh yeah wow that's so cool i loved listening to that <laughs> it's uh yeah it's amazing it's a it's a profound class it really is it's wonderful mm. it is and i just just feeling it all again hey i just want to express my sincere thanks and gratitude to you and to your teachers because I just to feel the benefit of you know the the how the teachings um are delivered you know for it's it's so special so to be uh to, to benefit from them in any way I just think is it, it's just wonderful it really is um how um how can people find you Andrea you, you've got a wonderful Instagram handle I know that much. <laughs> my, my Instagram is my dog does yoga um, because my dog does. She is the bodhisattva of the family. She's the last app, so she's Tibetan. So she loves to come and look at him. You can see here, but the Dalai Lama's just on the altar behind. So she loves to come and have a look at him. She's a funny little thing. And you can look at the website, santoshayoga.co.uk. There's lots of online courses. I'm doing, obviously, you know with the pandemic but actually a little bit before the pandemic I started putting some online courses together there's ones on meditation there's ones on buddhism there's ones on yoga and there's a new one coming out at the beginning of December on breath work um, and that's for people not necessarily who've done a lot of yoga but want to learn to connect with their breath connect to kind of being you know connected to their, themselves so many people as we all know because of what's going on as well in the world, struggling with anxiety and their mental health. And so I've, I've put that together. I'm hoping um, people will, will like that, will tune into it. But yeah, you can, you can find me. And, and the main thing is, is to find Jiva Mukti Yoga. Um, and so we're gonna be putting some links up about that um, so that you can, you can maybe dive into a Jiva Mukti class online or in person, wherever you're listening. Mm. Oh, awesome. thank you, Andrea. Oh, it's so good. And um, if you're if you're lucky enough to ever be in one of Andrea's classes, you might see the delightful Kitsy because she just come along. <laughs> she just come along and make an appearance, both in your Jiva Mukti classes and your Yin Yoga. She's uh, she shows up. Um, but it, but you know that's one of the wonderful things, like particularly over the summer when I could practice outside and all, and not just for me, but. The other people that I'm uh, practicing with, you see the animals come. They come and they get on the mat and they like to lie with you. And it's yeah, just including the tortoise. Harry the tortoise was very popular in lockdown. <laughs> he apparently loved my voice. I mean, that's all my friend ever kept saying. Gosh, he loves your voice. He never <laughs> normally wanders around the living room, but there you go. I've got a fan in Harry the tortoise. Yeah, have you like the Pied Piper with animals? <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, dear. well, thank you so much, Andrea. Oh, God, I could virtual hug. Thank you so much. It's yeah, just been a wonder. I knew awesome. it was going to be a wonderful conversation, but I, I just I can't wait for this one to air. It's going to be wonderful. Thanks so much for asking me, both of you. And, you know, continue doing all this really great work. Remember that podcasts, you know, people listening to stuff is a really good way of letting it sink in. Words are so powerful. Podcasts, I listen to many podcasts. Again, I find that kind of stuff really inspiring. If I'm out on a walk and listening to a podcast. Mm. So, you know, it's great work that you're both doing. It's really needed in this world. And we have to keep remembering that, you know, what we're putting out there, you know, eventually is going to come back and we will benefit from that, even though we're not doing it for ourselves, we're doing it for the greater good. Mm. Thank you. Thank you again. Thank you, Sam. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you're anything like me, you are absolutely ready to stick your funky yoga pants on and go and hit one of Andrea's yoga classes so maybe I will see you there um that's it really team the only thing to say is come and join our Facebook group we've got some awesome stuff going on in there live Q&A announcements early announcements of anything that we're doing present and sober styly and uh yeah it's it's lovely in there it's a really great community so we will see you there have a great week